0: sounds good, sounds good, feels good in here, the presence of the Lord is here, amen, that's a good thing, I don't ever want to go to church and not meet Jesus, amen, if we, if we go to church and we don't miss Jesus, we miss the point, didn't we, it's good to be able to come into the presence of the Lord and, and know that he's here, amen, a special way, God, God's with me everywhere I go, but there's a special anointing of his presence, amen, when his people come together and we worship, when we set our hearts towards him, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, Amen? Amen. Praise God. We're going to get into the Word. This is going to be an unusual message for me, and uh, just different. I prayed. I studied this week. I wanted a lot more content than what I've got today. It didn't come. i got a few scriptures. i got four scriptures. I'm going to do what the Lord told me to do. I'm going to to share some stories. I'm going to share some testimonies. Because I, I think God wants us just to get perspective new perspective. How how many of you know you haven't seen it all? I know I haven't seen it all. I've got a small view, a small limited scope of experience and perspective. So I I, want to share some stories, some testimonies, things God's done in the past in my life, in our ministry, um, because I believe he wants to do something. Amen. How, How many of you know that everything in your life up to today has been preparation? For the season that you're in. Amen. God's preparing us. He's doing a work in us. Amen. And he does that work in us so he can use us, so that we can be vessels that he, that he works through. Amen. And so I want to share some stories, but I want, to, I want to read some scriptures here as we get going. Today's title is Normal Church. Normal is not one of my favorite words. But, we're going to look at this idea of normal church. I want to read Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4. It says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. Every, t- every time I read this, I think of my, when we were dating, back in Bible college, my wife was in the chorale, and she used to sing this song, better is one day in your courts, how lovely is your dwelling place. And so, I, every time I read this, I think of that song, makes me, makes my knees weak. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> All right. Y'all cut it out. <laughs> hey, focus on the scriptures here. It's focus. It's <laughs> focus. Alright, how lovely is your tabernacle, Lord of hosts? My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Selah. The word selah means stop a minute and think about it. How good is it to come to church? It's a good thing. How wonderful is it to, do, to dwell together with the people of God, with God's children, with the saints. Amen? It's a good thing to come to church. I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's the 39th Psalm. Could be mistaken there, but somewhere around there, 38, 39. David talks about the deep pit of depression that he's in. But then he says, I remember going up to the house of the Lord. In his dark hour, he remembered going to church. Going to church is awesome. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, We we forget how awesome it is to come to church. We take it for granted. We get into the routine. Church becomes normal. But it's an awesome and a wonderful thing to come to church. David said, I was glad to meet the 122nd Psalm when they said unto me, let us go to the house of of the Lord. Another place he said, I'm going to stay there for, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to stay for a long, long time. It's a good place. He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in God's house than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Think of all the tents of the wicked. Think of all the great casinos and theme parks and movie theaters and all the places you can go, all the Fun you could have, all the enjoyment, entertainment you could experience. David says, above all that, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in God's house. Going to church is a good thing. One more passage of Scripture Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. "...let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching." You have to remember that this letter, the, 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 the book of Hebrews, was written to people who were being severely persecuted. Beaten, homes ransacked, even some losing their lives because of their faith in Jesus. Probably this was written during the uh, Neronian rule. Nero, who was burning Christians for entertainment. Great perversion in Nero's house. Great wickedness. And he rained down on the Christians. And the Jews joined in in that persecution and began to persecute their Jewish brethren who had turned to Christ. They began to persecute them. So many had begun to kind of hide in their homes and stay back. But whoever it is that wrote this, we're not quite sure on the authorship, but whoever wrote this letter to the Hebrews is encouraging them Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. The day of the Lord is drawing near. And so we need to continue to gather together. I love church. I love the church experience. I love Sunday mornings. I love coming into the house of God. I've done it most of my life. There was a few years where I rebelled and ran from it. I grew up in church. I think probably a weekend of my life, I was on the second row of uh, Jesus. I think it was, was it Jesus' name, Apostolic Church. I think it was the name of the church that they were going to, something like that, in Augusta, Georgia. All of my memories in Georgia, every memory that I have in Georgia, centers around the church. I lived there until I was five years old. I remember the church basement. And I remember the tennis courts of the church, the softball field. I remember everything around church. I remember choir practice fellowships, games with the kids. But all my memories were in church. Grew up in a a great church, my childhood in San Antonio, Texas. Many, many memories. I I love the church experience. I love everything about church. I love the music. I love people gathering in. I get excited on Sunday mornings. It's, It's an event. We lay our clothes out Saturday night in preparation for church. We get ready. On Saturday. You, may, you need to make preparation to come to the house of the Lord. Some people make their decision on Sunday morning about, you know, 10 o'clock, depending on how they're feeling. I made my mind up if I'm coming to church this morning about 20 years ago, 23 years ago. That's when I made up my mind, if it's time to go to church, we're going to be there. We just simply don't miss church. I love it. I really do. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to come to church to worship, to get into God's Word, to hear the Word of God preached, to sit with the people of God and hear the Word of God taught and preached, to worship together with the saints of God, to have somebody that can pray for you when you're down, when you're sick, when you're in a trial, to have people that will stand with you, to belong to a local body. It's a blessing, a great blessing to be a part of God's house. And we need to remember that this building really isn't the church. The people that you see to your left, to your right, in front of you, behind you, we are the church. And it's good to belong to the church. Think about normal church in America. Sunday morning, Sunday best, the worship team with the choir, A well-rehearsed message from the pastor, sound teams, lighting teams, media teams, all the work. And our team does work very, very hard. Amen. I'm grateful for all of our sound, all of our media, all the people that are helping us to live stream. Hello to everybody out there that's watching us this morning on Facebook and YouTube. Church has changed in the last year in America. There's—it seems to be a new normal, right? Live streaming, church in your pajamas. On your couch or at your breakfast table? Normal church. I want to rethink, I want us to rethink what normal is. So I had a great experience growing up. I'm grateful, and by the way, my mom's here. I'm grateful for the way that I was raised. I'm grateful for a mom and dad. Somebody said they, they grew up with a drug problem. Their mom drug them to church every Sunday. Y'all heard that one before? That was my mom and dad. We, they took us to church. They took our family to church. I was raised in the church. And I'm blessed because of that. Don't ever get that backwards. If you were raised in church, you're blessed. Amen? We're, we're blessed with great heritage. Amen? With, with our fathers and mothers and relatives. Or maybe somebody picked you up on a bus and took you to church. We're blessed by those people it brought us into the house of the Lord. After I got saved, my perspective of what church really was all about began to change. Number 1 because of what I saw in the word of God. Number 2 by because of some great examples of men and women of God that I saw doing some amazing things outside the four walls. Because normal church life doesn't just happen here on Sunday morning. As I said, I love Sunday morning. I value Sunday morning. We should put a a high priority on coming to the house of the Lord. Coming together, we should all put a high priority on that. This experience should never go away, the Sunday morning experience. But as I have journeyed, I've, I've come to understand that God doesn't just work on Sunday mornings. And the picture of the work of the Holy Spirit through His people, the church, Is much bigger than Sunday morning experience. And that it's something that we are to live out every single day of our lives. Amen? It's an awesome, awesome thing. I I didn't actually preach my first sermon in a church. I preached my first sermon, believe this or not, I'm a true Texan. I preached my first sermon at the Alamo. True story. Alamo Plaza, under a gazebo, with the International Bible College uh, outreach team. I remember going to IBC on a Friday night. I was a freshman in Bible college. I remember loading up with several Bible college students into this van, driving downtown to downtown San Antonio to the Alamo, and if you haven't been there, you might be disappointed. It's right smack dab in the middle of the city, not in the battlefield. But we got there, and I'm going to tell you, I sweat the entire drive to downtown San Antonio, knowing that I was going to have to go up to people face-to-face and share the gospel, knowing that I might be called on to stand up in the middle of the street and preach. I was sweating bullets. We got there, and they called my name. We were all gathered up under this gazebo. There were people standing around. They called my name, and I got up to preach. I have no idea what I said, but it was my first message. Can't remember anything about it. Not anything at all. Many of us ministered that night. We met a young man, Hispanic guy, gangbanger. He stood by, and he he watched us as we ministered. We ended up praying for him. I learned a very very valuable lesson from what transpired after that. We brought him home on the van. There were some guys in Bible College that had a house not too far from the college that they lived in. They invited him to live with them. Worked well for a couple of weeks. Then one day they came home after classes at the Bible College and all of their possessions were gone. <laughs> all of them. Somebody back, that that young man learned their schedule, and then called his friends while they were gone and emptied the house. All valuables, all possessions gone. Learned a very, very valuable lesson from that. We used to go as students down to the river walk. We had a a friend named Uche Chukire. He was from Nigeria. And Uche would sing his Nigerian worship songs in Ibu. None of us understood it but we sang with him. He taught us these songs, and we would sing and chant these praises to God as we walked up and down the river walk. We were spectacles. People would follow us, trying to figure out what we were doing and what was going on. We would gather under those bridges or along those benches on the river walk. We would sing choir songs, and then we would stand up on those benches and we would preach the gospel. They were drawn to the likes of Uche, and a zebu they were drawn to the likes of rachel and her british accent and we learned to preach the gospel on the streets in the Riverwalk of san antonio after shortly after rachel and i were married we went to a church in new braunfels texas and we we planned an outreach we put together a team with generators sound equipment and we went to a place called lindy courts it was government subsidized housing section eight We set up all the instruments, we set up all of the equipment, and we had church on the streets. That began at what would be a couple of years of me taking our church van into Lindy Courts and picking up whoever would get on that van every Sunday morning. Ended up having to take two trips. We'd bring two van loads full of people every Sunday morning from, from Lindy. And really the way that happened we, we had invited, we, and we were graduated from Bible College at this point, but we had still connections there. And so we, we invited the Bible College choir to come to Lindy Courts and to do a worship service in Spanish. It was a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. And so our friends came, and they did worship in Spanish. And it was a nice, I can't remember what season it was, but it was a nice Texas evening, cool. There was rain in the forecast, and it began to drizzle. And so uh, one of the gentlemen from our church, he brought a catering tent, and he set that up, these catering tents, so we could stand underneath them out of the rain, and he put some spotlights under there that lit the tents up, and we had all of our amplified music going, and there was a Walmart about three-quarters of a mile from Lindy Courts. And as we were singing, people began to flood to Lindy Courts, trying to figure out what was going on, looking for the party, probably. But my friend Mackie Hernandez He's now, now ministering in Agua uh, Prieta, Sonora, Mexico today. But back then he was a Bible college student. And Mackey got up and he preached the gospel. I asked him to preach because I couldn't preach in Spanish. And he preached the gospel in Spanish. And what happened, we, we ended up with 300 people gathered in those courts. In the little uh, um, na- neighborhood community club that was there in the parking lot. We had over 300 people gathered there. And I told Mackie, I said, I want you to tell them to come. We have we have something we want to bless them with. We had prepared gifts for the kids and for the young people. We had these blessing bags, and we wanted to give them. But we said we, through Mackie, we had them come, and we wanted to pray a blessing over them. And we began to do that. I asked all the Bible college students and all the ministers that were there. And we began to go. There were hundreds, literally, lined up, and we began to go and pray for them before we turned over these blessing bags. And the parents had come out to see what their kids were doing, and so on and so forth. And the Holy Spirit fell in the middle of a parking lot in Lindy Courts. People were baptized in the Spirit. Tears flooded down their face. Salvation, healing, deliverance. That's what made us happen to go back for the second trip with that bus into Lindy Courts every Sunday. We... In 2006, a couple years later, we moved to San Marcos, Texas to plant the church. And we'd been going to San Marcos, that was in our hearts for years. Actually had gone up there when I was a Bible college student to work, to begin the work, to plant a church. And so we would go to what was called the square in San Marcos, Texas. It was the old uh, courthouse with the old city square around it. And they, they had turned those old buildings into bars, into clubs. There was an arcade there, there was pizzerias, and some, a coffee shop, those types of things, and this is where all the college students would come. There were 40,000 college students in San Marcos, Texas, enrolled at Texas State University. It used to be the number one party school. It was formerly called Southwest Texas State University, the number one party school in the United States of America, according to Playboy magazine, and it was a party town. We witnessed all kinds of vile things in our years of ministry in the square, all kinds of debauchery, all kinds of wickedness, drunkenness, drug addiction, you name it, we, we encountered it all. We would go to that square. We'd, we, and I, you know, it's hard to do cold call ministry. I don't do very good at anything that's cold call. So I worked at building relationships. And we did this every Friday night for years, and we would, I would focus on building relationships. So my easy target became the bouncers because they were there every week, same, same location. I'd go up and I'd have conversation with those guys. We'd take a team, we'd pass out tracks, we would uh, go into those, uh, the arcades, the pizzerias, the coffee shops, and we, we got kicked out of the coffee shop several times because it was open mic night, and we'd get up and sing worship songs, they didn't like it, so they'd kick us out. But then we'd just go into the coffee shop, sit there, get to know the students that were there to study build relationship with them, minister the gospel to them. Over the years, we developed an outreach that eventually got to the point where we we could have 40 or 50 college students on Sunday mornings at our church. We developed an outreach. They they actually gave us a a spot in the LBJ Learning Center. We had a lecture hall where we were able to do life groups every semester, took a group of students through the purple book it's a curriculum found Christian foundations teaches them basic doctrine of the Christian faith and so we, we did that on that campus all kinds of cool stuff I, I told y'all I think last Sunday at the end of the service the story about my uh, experience with this demon-possessed character and the Cundero the Mexican witch doctor that, that took place in a, in a place called Rancho Vista Rancho Vista was, it was out in the country. It was about probably four four miles outside of San Marcos, Texas. It was a third world country right in our backyard. It had been a ranch, 400 acres, that the, the man who owned it subdivided. He put in eight roads, and he began to sell off the lots. And people would build homes there. People had moved in mobile homes. There were even people who were living in basically what's a Home Depot shed that they had put an air conditioner in. We saw a lot of the plumbing, the sewage plumbing, was above ground, dumping out into the ditch in the back. Most of the people couldn't afford uh, trash services, so they would pile it in their yard, they would burn it, they would do what they could. Every year, there was an event called Bobcat Build, the Texas State University Bobcats. There was an event called Bobcat Build that the university would sponsor, and they would go throughout the community, they would find people that needed work done, your business could register, your church could register, homes could, even things, I think, in some of the neighborhoods for your home, you could register to have students on a Saturday morning come and work. They'd put mulch down, they would paint, they'd clean, clean up things, do things like that to help the community out. And so in one year, this, this Bobcat build, they, they took on Rancho Vista, this neighborhood where we had people in our church, actually, that came from Rancho Vista. That's how we got connected with it. A lady named Miss Edith. And so Texas State decided they were going to take on a project in Bobcat Building. So what they did is they they parked two of those roll-off construction dumpsters on an empty lot in Rancho Vista. And they told the residents, we're going to come by on Saturday morning with trailers. You set your trash at the end of the driveway, and we'll haul it off to the dumpsters for you. Within 30 minutes after they'd started to haul trash, both of those dumpsters were completely full. The residents had taken it upon themselves to load their vehicles and take their trash over there because the students could have get it, couldn't get it done fast enough. On Saturday morning, I didn't know this was going on, on Saturday, Sunday morning before church, that happened on a Saturday morning, Sunday morning before church, Miss Edith called me. And she said, Pastor Chad, you need to cancel church. You need to cancel church. She was, she was really excited. I'm thinking, what in the world? I said, Miss Edith, what's going on? She said, you've got to come see what God's doing in Rancho. The the neighbors are coming together. They're working together. We're cleaning up our neighborhood. People are out connecting with one another. They're helping one another. They're serving one another. You've got to see what God's doing in our neighborhood. I said, Missy, I don't think I can cancel church on this short of a notice, but I'll tell you what I'll do. We'll we'll, we'll be as quick as we can. I'll preach short, and I'm going to invite everybody from our church to come with, with me, and we're going to come help. So we did. We had church for about an hour. And we ran and grabbed a quick lunch, and we headed over to Rancho. And when we got there, what we saw was absolutely astounding. It was a three-acre lot, empty lot. It was stacked, I'm guaranteeing you, knee deep with trash. They had been trimming trees, they had been bringing every piece of trash that they could find in that neighborhood. They'd been putting it, bringing it, stacking it in that lot, that empty lot. The county actually ended up coming in and cleaning that lot up because of all the trash university couldn't get all the trash out while we were there that sunday afternoon i remember an older hispanic couple coming they were probably in their late 60s or 70s they pulled up in a small nissan truck and they began to rummage through the trash heap and load things out of the trash heap into the back of their truck i remember seeing the gentleman He grabbed a screen door and tried to stick it into the back of his truck, and it it wouldn't fit. He had so much stuff in there, his toolbox, and it was falling out. Every way he tried to put it in, it would fall out. So I offered, hey, I've got a truck. Let's throw it in the back of mine. I'll haul it over to your house for you. So I went over there, and there were a few of the college students from my church with me, one young lady that spoke Spanish who could interpret for me. When we got to the house, they lived in a mobile home, and in the apex of their living room, there was duct tape all along the apex of the ceiling. And I asked through the interpreter, why is that there? And she would say, it's to keep the weather out. And every time that it rains, we have to reapply the duct tape. I looked in the kitchen, there was duct tape over there, electrical sockets. And I asked, why do you have tape over your sockets? Well, every time we plug something in there, it shoots sparks out. And I remember that afternoon going back to my truck and just sitting there contemplating. God dealing with me. God giving me burden. We we started this whole series about the blueprint about burden. But God giving me burden for Rancho Vista. We would go in there for the next several years. We'd have Bible studies in there. We initially went in, the Mexican cartel was working. They had control of the neighborhood. They literally had control of that entire neighborhood. There was a tortilleria at the entrance of one of those roads. And the Mexican mafia we found out after the fact that they were using that tortilleria as a distribution center for cocaine. They were shipping the coke in in flour bags and sugar bags under the guise of making tortillas, chopping it up there in that tortilleria. Distributing it to the streets of Dallas, Houston, Austin, and San Antonio. We began to have Bible studies there. We began to pray. We, we, I was telling somebody this week, we literally prayed this. We said, Lord, we, we knew, we found out th- from the residents these guys were there working. And we, we, we prayed for the Mexican cartel. You know, we prayed. We said, Lord, save them, move them, or kill them. That may sound harsh, but if you understood what they were doing, you'd pray the same things too. They, they, had, they had kidnapped a young lady and were using her for a, as a slave for all kinds of despicable things. We had knowledge of this. One day I was approached by a man, he told me that he was with the FBI. To watch my back, there had been a hit put out on my life because they knew why we were there. Take over the neighborhood for Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with it. I had to to come to Bible study looking over my shoulders, looking before I got out of my car to make sure there wasn't somebody looking to get me. Guess what happened? God didn't kill anybody. But the FBI did move in, bust that up, and deport all of, deport and imprison the cartel that was there. Amen. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. We saw a young man come in from Rancho, Rancho Vista. He came in with Miss Edith one Sunday, and he had a, and this was before the cartel was hauled out, he had a knot on the side of his head, size of a golf ball. I preached, and he came down to the altar at the end of my message and gave his life to the Lord. I asked him after the service what had happened to him, and he said he had been walking that Saturday with his girlfriend and her small child. And as they were walking by this house where these guys were living, their big dog came out barking, and he said, take care of your dog, trying to protect his girlfriend's young child. They didn't like that. So a bunch of them came out with clubs and baseball bats, I don't know what, but they beat the man almost to death the day before. He came to church that Sunday, gave his life to the Lord at the altar. A couple days later, Miss Edith sees this young man walking down the street. His name was Mario. She sees him walking down the street. And Mario had borrowed, I think it was a, either a lawnmower or a weed eater from her. And so she sees Mario and says, hey Mario, can I go back to your house and get my, my mower? And he says, yes. Yeah. So he, she gives him a ride. They load the mower in the back of the truck. And as she's about to leave, Mario begins to weep. He says, "Miss Edith, I'm, I'm afraid. These Mexican mafia guys, they, they said they're going to kill me. They're not done. They, they beat me Saturday, but they're not done. They're going to come back and kill me, and I'm, I'm afraid of, that, that they're not lying. And so Miss Edith, she had a 10-year-old son, and they stood right there in that young man's front yard and prayed over him, prayed protection over him, covering that God would be with him. She drove to her house a few streets down, and as she was getting out of the car, she heard the gunshots. She jumped back in her car and drove to Mario's house to find him laying in the front yard, blood running down his face. She goes to him, she's able to pick him up, he's, he's okay. What had happened is they drove by and shot, him up, shot up the house, shot at him standing in the yard, and the bullet grazed his scalp. It was uh, Hayes County Sheriff Department that responded and guess what happened? When, when they heard the story about Miss Eve praying for Mario, they said, would you pray for us? We want that kind of protection. What, what, where are you getting at with all this, Pastor Chad? This, I, th- here, here's, here's what I want us to consider, that maybe church as usual is not really a church, normal church, the way that God has planned it. That's where we're going with this. A few years into our church plant, we, we, we planted in our living room. We were there for 14 months before we got our first public building. We rented this little space. that had enough room for 40 chairs and a fellowship hall, a small nursery and a bathroom. We were there for about a year and a half and outgrew it. We couldn't get our people in, so our landlord moved us to a bigger building. We were there for a few years. We're, at, we're in our second location and on a, on a Friday night, uh, actually, my friend Wayne Thompson, he's, he's the music minister at the Church of God in Christ in San Marcos, Texas. He calls me up, and he says, Hey, Brother Chad, I, I'm, I'm wondering, Gary, the guy who owns the bowling alley, he's, in, he's invited me to do an outreach at the bowling alley. And I'm wondering if you and Rachel might help me. So Brother Wayne, Wayne roped us into this outreach, and then after about a month of doing it, he says, I can't do this anymore. It's too late. We're, what we were doing, we were meeting at the bowling alley Friday night at midnight after they closed, and we were doing outreach. We would open it back up, have college students come in, we'd let them bowl, we'd we'd, uh, do worship with them, and we would preach to them, and we'd get done about four o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning. And Brother Wayne dropped out. He said, I can't hang with you guys, that's too late. So Rachel and I inherited, it was one of the best things that ever happened, one of the worst things, staying up till Saturday. We had little kids that would go to sleep on the chairs in the bowling alley at this point. Nate and Noah, I think Jensen was a baby. we do this outreach in this bowling alley until four in the morning. And it was tremendous. We, 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 we gathered in as many as 200 college kids in there every Saturday night. We saw them saved. We saw lives transformed. We saw people coming into our church. Our church grew. One, one Saturday morning at four o'clock in the morning, Gary, the owner of the bowling alley, and, and I, we were rolling up extension cords, rolling up all the sound equipment from the outreach. And he said, would you be interested in having church in here? I said, church in a bowling alley? What would that look like? And I said, well, just like our outreach. We, we were literally set up on lane 10. We, we, we developed some mottos, throwing strikes for Jesus, pulling people out of the gutter. Yeah. Hey, I mean, we're, we're having church in the bowling alley. you got to have fun. So Gary says, would you have church in the bowling alley? And I said, huh, what would that cost us? He said, nothing. I started thinking about what we were paying for rent thousands of dollars in rent and utilities every month. I thought about the impact we were already having in the bowling alley. I said, okay. We, I didn't make the decision right there, but we thought about it. We prayed about it. Talked to Rachel. Talked to our leadership. We made the decision to move out of our building and have church in a bowling alley. Y'all didn't know that, did you? You're looking at a guy that preached on Lane 10 for, what, two and a half years? Sunset Lane, San Marcos, Texas. We had church in the bowling alley. First Sunday we were there. The owner of the pro shop shows up. I'd met him. I'd met him during our outreaches. I'd met him going up to bowl. I forgot the guy's name, but I preached. We had worship. I preached. We said amen. We dismissed. As soon as we dismissed, he stepped back from his chair to the front door of his pro shop and lit a cigarette up. I thought, wow, I've never seen that happen in church before. You know what happened in those two years? We'd already been living there and working for five to six years when we moved to the bowling alley. I'm going to tell you that in the first two or three months of being in that bowling alley, I met more people than I did all the previous years. Guess what? The mayor and her husband were in the bowling league on Thursday nights. And Gary gave us the party room on Thursday nights so we could have a small group. And we went in on league night. I would go early before our life group. I met the mayor, I met business owners, I met all kinds of community leaders, all kinds of folks. The city opened up to us. It wouldn't have happened in our little church building. was church unusual that began to open all kinds of doors there was a young man that would come in every Sunday morning we would meet at 10 o'clock and he would come in about 11 o'clock about the time that I start preaching and he would begin to get the skates out or the uh, the bowling balls and the the all that kind of stuff out and and get them cleaned get the soda fountains and all that stuff ready to go They, they would open at noon so this young man came in there listened to me preach every Sunday as, I was getting, as he was getting the, the bowling alley ready to open. I met this young man, began to develop a relationship with him. This is a 19-year-old college student at Texas State University. I found out that this young man from, for, for over a decade had been playing guitar for Willie Nelson. His dad was actually Willie Nelson's main guitar player, a guy named Ray Ray Wiley Hubbard. One, One night we were doing the outreach, cleaning everything up, and Lucas said, hey, check out Letterman on Thursday night. Dad and I are gonna be there. Sure enough, Thursday night I turn on Letterman, and there he is on TV with his dad. I got to sit at the table with this young man. His mother was a spiritualist pastor. They believed Jesus, but they also believed Buddha and a lot of others. That was his mother. I got to sit at the table over and over again with this young man after our service, share the gospel with him. A year later, I was sitting at the Wimberly Cafe having lunch all by myself. This young, walks, this young man walks in. His dad and mom lived about 20 minutes from where we were at. This young man walked in with his dad. Ray Wiley Hubbard. I'm sitting at a table by myself, and they say, would you mind us sitting with you? Now this is a guy that wrote songs for Willie Nelson, all kinds of guys, all kinds of songs. If you're a country music guy, you probably know some of them. He sat down at the table, and for an hour and a half, I got to preach the gospel with Ray Wiley Hubbard. If I hadn't had church in a bowling alley, I would have never had that opportunity. This has kind of been the norm for me. This kind of ministry. I've preached in lots of churches, lots of Sunday mornings. But I've preached about everywhere that you can imagine. I've preached in a Chick-fil-A before. I preached in the bowling alley. I preached in parking lots. I've done street outreaches in Houston. San Antonio, all over Texas, different places. Rockport, Indiana. I remember what, before Rachel and I remarried, being up in Rockport with David Cook, Jason Toler, Walter Phillips. You guys remember David Cook? Crazy guy that was here Sunday morning for the IMA conference. They let David Cook preach on the streets in Rockport, Indiana. And I was there just to help set up and tear down. A few years ago, when we were pastoring in Kentucky, we, we uh, began to do outreaches in, in Rockport. We would do nights of Worship. The church, Titus Chapman, you guys remember Titus? Joe, Joe Christian, a lot of these guys. They would get together with Rachel, they would form a worship team, and we'd have nights of Worship. Then we had an idea, let's do an outreach. Here, here's something that's unusual that should be the norm. You know that in the state of Indiana, they have a law called Release Time? How many of you are familiar with Anybody familiar with release time? It's all in the books in the state of Indiana. Release time means that a, if there is a private group that wants to sponsor a faith-based initiative, the, the school district has to comply with that. They have to release the students. I think it's for one hour a week. If at, at, their, at their initiative, the students have to initiate it. But they, they have to release them for one hour of the week to go for religious studies. In Rockport, Indiana, my friend Tim Coomer leads the release time effort in that community. They they gather kids in. They do it throughout the week. They have a church in that community that sponsors all the different schools, elementary, junior high, and middle school. Every campus has a church that sponsors them, does the release time, and they bring those kids out for one hour a week to teach them about Jesus. So here's what we did for our outreach. Tim Coomer working with us. He said, You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna teach these kids a song as or some songs as a choir. And then we're gonna bring them to our every other month, we would have those, we call them worship at the rock. Those worship events where Joe Christian, Titus, Rachel, this crew would come together, they would have worship. He so we're said, we're gonna bring these kids, we're gonna do our regular worship, and then we'll have, at the end of our worship, we'll have these kids sing as a choir. And all their parents are gonna wanna come, hear their kids sing. So we're gonna give you, they gave me an opportunity to preach for 20 minutes, to preach a gospel message. We set the gymnasium, South Spencer High School, Rockport, Indiana. We set the the gymnasium up with, with bouncy houses. All the churches funded it, all the churches in the area gym, a huge gym full of these bouncy houses and slides, inflatables. I don't know how many hundreds of pizzas we had in the cafeteria. Every church bought pizzas. We had the the different pizza companies in town donating pizzas. The churches bought coolers, filled them with ice and water and soda. We opened the thing up. I want to tell you at the end of that event, I don't know how many we had, but dozens of those parents who heard their, their kids come to sing, coming down to the altar to give their lives to Jesus. That's not church normal. Those, those folks would have never come in a church building on a Sunday morning, but they were willing to come out on a Sunday evening to hear their kids sing in a high school auditorium. I, I've got a, a friend in San Antonio, his name's Tyrone McQueary. He's is a pastor, African-American guy. There's an awesome story that he tells. They were a young church, he planted the church, they were a young church and they were having their men's prayer meeting. And they were trying to figure out how to grow their church, how to reach people, they had a target audience they were reaching out to, but they weren't having any kind of success. So the men in their men's prayer group, they began to pray about it and said, Lord, we we wanna know, what, what do we need to do? What do we have to do to get people to come? What do we have to do to reach people? What do we have to do to be able to get people to hear the gospel of Jesus? And then a word came, a prophetic word. Kind of like the one that we heard at the end of our worship today. But a word came to them in their prayer time. And 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 this is what it was. It, 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 God spoke to them. He said, "You need to find out what your community loves and dominate it." Find out what your community loves and dominate it. They're like, "Okay, that's awesome." Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? So they prayed some more. You know what the Lord showed them in their prayer time? Everybody they were trying to reach had kids in youth sports. So they said, okay, we're gonna get involved with youth sports. So him and a couple of his guys signed up to be coaches for Texas Youth Football Association. And they coached a football team. They had the, they had the freedom within that organization to share a scripture practice, to pray with the kids and to disciple those kids. And so they took that on. They set their goal not to win a championship, but to make disciples of those young men. Guess what happened? They made disciples of those young men, and they won the championship. And they had so much fun doing it, they inspired all the men in their church to get involved. So the next football season, the whole group of their men from their church went and signed up. After a couple of years of doing that, the city of Cibolo contacted him and said, hey, we've just built a, an entire sports complex. New basketball, new softball, new uh, soccer fields, new football field. We don't have programs. Pastor McCreary, could you lead this? Could you lead our sports programs in our city? So their church had to go start a nonprofit to be able to run the sports programs for the city of Cibolo, Texas. Guess what happened? Their church exploded and grew exponentially because their men were out in the community preaching the gospel. Church as usual may not be God's plan. Am I I suggesting that we stop meeting on Sunday mornings? Absolutely not. We'll never do it. And I implore every one of you to come back next Sunday and those of you who are watching online, come to church. We need to be here. But we need to be different. I believe the church needs to do more outside. I want to read a scripture and we're going to be done. Listen to the book of Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him. Timothy, Eurastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Now, check this verse out. About that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. The early church was first called the way. They're actually called those who are in the way. That was one of the first names given to Jesus' followers. Those who are in the way, the way of following Jesus. That was the first name for the the early church. But there is this great commotion about the way. I want to ask you a, a question How much commotion are we causing? How deeply are we impacting our community? think about that we have great church talking nationwide America the world we got great church how deeply are we impacting communities how deeply are we impacting the nations for a certain man named Demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana. This is for worship. Brought no small profit to the the craftsmen. So he's making his money by making these silver trinkets of Diana. Right? And he called them together with the workers of similar occupation. He said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that only at Ephesus not only at Ephesus but throughout all of Asia this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands and so not only in this trade of ours and not not only is this trade of ours in danger when's the last time that the gospel's put somebody's trade in danger think about that in danger of falling in disrepute But also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion. The whole city. The work that the disciples and I'm just going to stop reading there just for the sake of time but I, I want you to go go read this at home, go read that story. But the work the disciples were doing disrupted the entire city.. When we went to Rancho Vista, that was our mission. We're going to transform Rancho Vista this neighborhood that is a third world country, this neighborhood that is a trash heap, this neighborhood full of drive-bys and gang activity, Mexican mafia and all the things, the cartel, the things that are going on, we're going to turn this place upside down. What are you suggesting, Pastor Chad? I'm just suggesting that maybe we need to reconsider our mission. What's our purpose? why, Why does the church exist? Isn't just to gather together on Sunday mornings. The Apostle Paul loved church. You know that Paul had a home church? Acts chapter 13, Church of Antioch. Paul had a home church, Paul went on three missionary expeditions between every one of those journeys he would return back to Antioch it was his home church it was his sending church he belonged to that local church Paul and Barnabas the the, the Bible says that the elders of that that church the Apostles of that church the prophets at that church laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and and set them apart for the work of ministry they sent them on those missionary trips he was sent from a local church he belonged to a local body a local assembly right but he lived his life on mission you, you may never go on a missionary expedition. You may never leave the United States of America. You may never go to a foreign country. You may never even go to another state. But are you living your life on mission? Somebody, somebody said you don't have to go across uh, you know, the, the, the ocean to go on a missions trip. Sometimes all you've got to do is go across the street. Are we impacting our neighborhoods? Or maybe just across the cubicle? Are we impacting our workplace? Are we making a difference? The Apostle Paul ended up starting 14 churches at least that we know of. Some say as many as possibly 20 churches. You think about that. So what's the point of all this stuff that I've done today? I I'm, I'm trying to get our perspectives wider. I believe God wants to, to broaden our hearts, broaden our understanding, broaden our perspectives. He wants to give us vision. He wants to give us burden. He wants to, to give each and every one of us a sense of calling and purpose. Amen? The fact that we're, we're called to more than sitting on a pew on Sunday morning or padded chairs. There's more to this walk. Christian, you've got a call. Every one of you have a calling upon your life. And the Lord wants us to fulfill that. Some of you may never preach in a bowling alley or go into some place like Rancho Vista. That may scare you to death. Not everybody is called to that. Some of us are called to serve in the kitchen, to prepare the meals that we're going to. Some of you all are scared to death at the thought of going into Portland. If, if it scares you to death, God's probably not calling you to do that. Because I believe God, when he calls us, and maybe he is, but if, if he is, he'll give you the faith for it. And you'll get over those fears. So I, I don't want to scare anybody this morning to, to make you think that I'm asking you to go stand in front of some Kundera, some witch doctor, or to face down demon-possessed people. I don't want to scare you with that. But I do want to challenge you to consider what are we living for? What kind of impact is our life making? Who are we reaching with the gospel? I can't remember who it was, but one of the guys in church history, he said, if your gospel isn't affecting someone, then it hasn't really affected you. Cuts deep, doesn't it? It Hurt me when I heard it, too. But there's truth. Who are we impacting? Let's stand together i got to quit. I want to keep going, but I need to quit. Read, read the Bible. I, I love the stories, of, especially the, the, in the book of Acts. Read If you want to see what the church is supposed to look like, open this book and look into the book of Acts. There, there, that's just one story where they're disrupting the, the temple worship, at the temple of Diane. But all throughout this, they're, they're, somebody asked, why, why don't we see the miracles that they saw in, in the uh, book of Acts? I always, ask, I always answer that because we're not doing what they did in the book of Acts. Right? You read through those stories. They're, they were out in the streets. They were, they were where the people were. And they were, they were literally at, like, like Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. They were, they're at the temple where Diana is worshipped, disrupting it. Right at the gates of hell. Go back a couple chapters. Chapter 17. Paul in the midst of the Areopagus. In Morris Hill, he's, he, they're there they're worshiping at an altar. It's marked for the unknown God, and they're worshiping. And Paul again disrupts their worship, and he says, hey, you don't know who you're worshiping. Let me declare the true God to you. And he began to preach what I think is one of the most masterful messages. He started exactly where they're at, at this altar and shrine. To the, the, to the unknown God. And he starts at that altar, and from the altar of the unknown God, he preaches the true and the living God. And I'm, I just want to encourage, how many preachers are in the house? Anybody bold enough to say, I'm a preacher of the gospel? Amen. Let, let me just say this. You need to know your audience. Know who you're preaching to. That's what Paul, Paul knew who he was preaching to. He was preaching to these guys who were worshiping this, the, this unknown God. And so he started right where they're at, at the altar of the unknown God, and he moved them in sermon to Jesus. Start where they're at and move them to Jesus. Amen? Praise God. Would you put your hands up, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you. Lord, I just pray right now in your name that you would expand our visions, Lord God. Lord, I believe you're calling return church to be a church of impact. Lord, bless our gatherings on Sunday morning. Increase us on Sunday morning. Father, I pray that you would fill every chair in this house. I pray that we have to have more Sunday morning services. I pray that you would grow this church and our experiences that we have right here on this campus. But Father, I pray beyond that, Lord, that you would give us influence in our community, impact in our community. Lord, that we would disrupt the work of the enemy, Lord, that we would raise the gates of hell in this community. That we would have deep impacts for the sake of your gospel. Father, Lord, help us. Lord, that we wouldn't be just an annoyance and noisemakers, Lord God, but that, that the disruption would be impactful, Lord God. That we would have fruit, Lord, in this community. Lord, help us to expand. Help us to reach. Help us to grow. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Steve Manneke, would you please come? Church, i want to tell you, I believe God's got great things in store. Amen. I, I want to say before Steve, hey, thank you so much to everybody who came yesterday, helped us with our, our homes. We're nearing the state where we can move in. We're very, very close. I appreciate all of the help over the months. It has been a great, great blessing. We had about 20 people there yesterday cleaning and getting things in order. We put in appliances, it's coming together. It's a beautiful thing. But I tell you what was so beautiful was seeing all those people gathered. We stopped at lunchtime and had pizza. To see all those people, and I see vision that one day that house is gonna be full of people from that community in Greenville and we're gonna be reaching them with the gospel. We had at least 20 people in there and we got a lot more room. It's a big family room and kitchen we got there. It's going to be used to the glory of God. I I believe we're going to be meeting in clubhouses, in restaurants, in coffee shops, in outreaches. We're going to be planting churches around this community, throughout the the state of Kentucky and Indiana, uh, beyond. Amen? I believe God's called us to great things. If I didn't believe that, I would stay in, in Minnesota. That's the truth. I believe God's called this house for some great things. Amen? I came because I believe there's a call of God. Amen? Praise God. Steve? Praise His name.